This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. Join us as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revived Thoughts. It is in persevering, not believing, but confident in praising prayer that the soul grows up into that full union with its Lord in which it can enter upon the possession of the blessing in Him. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today we're going to be listening to a sermon by Andrew Murray. Murray is from the late 1800s into the early 1900s. This sermon would have been preached in South Africa. Joel, this is our second sermon from uh, someone that's in Africa. The first was Oswald Chambers in Egypt during World War I, and now we have Andrew Murray in South Africa living during uh, kind of the same time frame. Uh, we also, by the way, just, just for fun, just throwing this out to you guys, we got tweeted a medieval sermon this week, so we are slowly moving out of just Western sermons in England in the 1600s, and we're slowly moving uh, further back in time. Goal of the show for me is just have a sermon or two from every century. So you just can hear them all. But that's just something I'm throwing out there. All right. One thing I love about this episode is we get to talk about a missionary. I love it when we get to talk about people who were being missionaries and were sharing the gospel. These are kind of hard sermons for us to find because a lot of times the people they were preaching to not being a Christian civilization, like they weren't writing them down. Um, and I didn't actually know, to my discredit, I didn't know he was a missionary until I started doing the research here. I knew he was a writer of many devotional books, and I knew that he had written a book, especially on prayer, that influenced many people. But the fact that he was a missionary and actually was raised as a missionary, this is just kind of a nice bonus for us. Uh, his experience with God when it comes to revivals and healing, it kind of gives them a unique outlook on prayer. And and one last thing that just was we're doing the intro here, uh, I thought was interesting. He never talked about his personal testimony in Christ. People would ask him, even Alexander White, we did a episode on him, by the way, early in the series, go check it out. Uh, but they would ask him, hey, uh, what what's, you know, how did you tell me more about your coming to Christ? But he would say, no, you don't need to hear about me. You need to hear about Christ. But at the end of his life, he, he one time wrote it down, and we're going to get to that later on in this episode. Andrew Murray was born 1828, and he would die in 1917, so a nice long life. He was born as an MK, a missionary kid, right? I'm sure we probably have some MKs out there listening now, but he was born into a family that was on the mission field already. His family's originally from Scotland, but they were ministering in South Africa at the time of his birth, and he comes from a family of five brothers who also went into ministry. He went back to Scotland to go to grammar school with his younger brother, and he planned on being a minister. And a lot of eras in history, a minister was a, a, a good living. It yeah. was a good way to sustain yourself and your family. So early on, that was kind of his motivation. The church was, isn't going out of business. Right. So if you want to, if you want to stay safe and steady job, here's a job. Yeah. So he went to be a minister, kind of, kind of as a career choice rather than it was something he was really passionate about. Another minister that also meets that build is a George Mueller, who we also did a, an episode on. I actually think that's the very first episode we did on our feed. We One released. of my favorites, actually. Go back and listen to George Mueller if you haven't already. But he has a similar story from the 1800s as well as wanting to get a job and then becoming convicted and falling in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
After going to grammar school, he continued his education in the Netherlands, and it was there that he learned about theology, really got into theology. In the Netherlands, he got caught up with a group called, I'm going to mispronounce, I think it's, they were from France originally, Reveil. That's what we'll say they are. And this mostly shaped his theology and his piety. He simply said that school wasn't where he learned about God. It was this group. And they pushed for revivals. And they really wanted to reject everything that was modern. It's hard to understand this from our perspective, but you got to put yourself, as we always say, back in their shoes. Get back to the 1830s in Europe. What just finished? The French Revolution. And during the French Revolution, a lot of people died. A lot of preachers and priests were killed in France. And they rejected it. And they, they basically looked at that and they thought, that's what modernism, that's what all the enlightenment kind of culminates in. So let's go back to traditional ways of doing things. Let's go back to God. Let's go back to those revivals of the 1700s and do it that way. This group would play a pretty important role in European history, but for our purposes, just know that Murray was really, he, he experienced it and it really changed his perspective on God. So in 1848, he goes back to South Africa and he begins ministering there. And he was given this church to a group called the, and it's another one I'm not going to get quite correct, Vortrekkers. And it literally means like long way trekkers. There was these people that in his church, I loved it. When, when they described his church, it just said he's a church beyond the veil and by the orange rivers which just sounds so <laughs> mystical and medieval. Poetic. Yeah, very much like that's his group. And it was a group of Dutch who had lived in South Africa. They wanted to get away from the British, so they move out. And they basically live this 100,000 square mile radius ends up being his church. And he does very well there. And he actually helps this group of people get their independence from the British. But it ends up taking a toll on him to just be the pastor of such an incredibly large area. He was married uh, to the daughter of another missionary, Emma Rutherford, and they would eventually end up having eight children of their own, but they were married when he was 21 years old, but he had spent so much traveling constantly that uh, there in South Africa, he became kind of, kind of not feeling too well, kind of ill, and he was exhausted from his travels, so they sent him back to England to kind of recuperate and gain his strength back, which is... A, 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 like a very 1800s thing to do. Yeah, that. I, I kind of wish I would get sick and someone would say, you need a vacation in Hawaii yeah, you for need a couple months to go recover to a different your country. strength. That would, that would not be so bad. <laughs> when he returned to South Africa, he got a position at a local seminary. And from there, he helped set up a Bible school and a school that helped educate women as well. Eventually, he would move his focus to preaching and he moved out to a rural parish and he was excited about it. He and several others came together wishing to see a revival take place. Yeah, it's kind of something that uh, Andrew Murray and, and Richard Baxter kind of have in common with each other. They both wanted to be out there in the rural parish, you know, with regular people just doing God's work. So this revival comes, but it, it, Murray would say, like, not in the way that I wanted it to come. He, he literally would say, like, I saw it breaking out, and he was kind of complaining to God, like, this is disorderly. This isn't what we were expecting. I remember the revivals in Europe, and I'm looking for that again. Um, and it was said he just felt like God had to check his heart and get him to see, like, this is my work, and I'll do it in my way different. And it, it really doesn't matter if you appreciate it, but you should. Um, so God convicted him. He learned to really appreciate and love what happened in South Africa. And he would actually go to the United States um, and would tell people about what he saw. And he would be uh, he would be a speaker at a lot of the holiness conventions because of that. There's a lot with his legacy to unpack. And there's a lot 
that goes into who he was as a person. And there's some big issues that we definitely want to get into, like uh, his healing or uh, a deeper history on the revival. There is a lot that goes into these people from the past. And here at Revive Thoughts, uh, we, we like sharing history, we like sharing who these people are. And uh, that doesn't mean that Troy and I think they're perfect people. There, there are definitely imperfect people that God uses to do some great stuff with. So there are some parts of his life that are definitely kind of theologically controversial, but um, we like giving some backstory and some history. We yeah. can't get into all of the little bits uh, here in this episode, but maybe in a future episode. In a future episode, we'll definitely cover some of those uh, issues that people, uh, I think, understandably have with them. And, and Joel and I, we really try to just present this to you as neutrally as we can. Sometimes I think we're digging for bad stuff just so we can kind of balance them out. But we just, we don't want to overly present perfect people. We want you, the listener, to to decide for yourself how you feel about these people. But after this little break, we're going to tell you about a definitely controversial part that he, of his life that he ends up playing into. So back to this controversial part of his life. Uh, South Africa is famous for people today due to, let's be honest, a pretty bad relationship with racial tensions. And there's obviously lots of other things in South Africa and lots of good things, but that is something that you know, it becomes known for, just like the South and the United States of America became known for, you know, its own racial prejudice issues. It's just things that people associate with that. And Murray ends up kind of playing into that too. In the 1650s through the 1800s, the Dutch ran South Africa, and they would only extend communion to those who were in the Dutch Reformed Church. The British would end up taking South Africa in the 1800s during the Napoleonic War and add it to their empire. And, and when they did that, uh, you, you'll even see that the reason these Vor trekkers left South Africa, went into the interior of Africa, they were trying to get away from this new British rule that had showed up. But another thing that happened when they did that was the Dutch kind of ran out of ministers. And so they told the British, like, look, send your evangelical preachers, send somebody. We need, we need more people uh, running the churches in South Africa. We've kind of run out. Yeah, it was this initial wave of preacher that is actually where Andrew Murray's parents came from. This group believed that all could come to Christ and preach to the indigenous populations and also to the slaves that Britain had imported into the colony. This raised an issue over whether or not the converts could take communion, and it would take 40 years to settle this debate. In the mid-1860s, to end this debate, Andrew Murray proposed a solution, right? A, a kind of a compromise. He decided that the new believers and the indigenous people that lived there in Africa needed communion, right? And so his his kind of compromise, his middle of the road was to have two separate communion services. So one for the, the Dutch reform, the people that were there, and then another for everyone else, all the indigenous and new believers that were there at the time. And he did this, again, to, to stop a conflict that had been going on for decades with his hope that, hey, this way... They'll have communion. We, we can all have communion. And it, it, is, it is a middle of the ground. It's a compromise. It's not a perfect solution, but it's something that will get us through this argument. We say on the show all the time, we, we don't know 100% what people's true intentions are, what was going on in their heart. It doesn't seem like he was being prejudiced in this, um, but that could be a factor. He did seem to be genuinely bothered by the lack of communion that was being available to everyone else. So the good news was that they were finally getting to partake in communion. The bad news was that they had to build a separate building, an apartheid, that the separate communion services could be held at. And 
this snowball. Do you have a, you know, a separate building for communion? Soon you have separate churches, you have separate schools, you have separate lives. And uh, Murray didn't intend for that to happen. And, you know, in fact, it seems to be like that that's what he was trying to remedy, but it had the longer effect of actually further separating these two people groups and really lending itself to creating more racial tension in the church down the road. And that's something, I mean, we mention it very many of our episodes. We've got George Whitfield, um, mm. Richard Baxter. This thing happens a lot where I can't tell if it's just the compromise was bad and that led to the problems or it was a good intention and a good idea, but in a sinful world, it gets twisted and ruined. But so many times in an effort to fin- fix one problem, you create a sure. bigger problem down the road. And, and and I don't blame these guys for doing the best they can. I just think it's very hard and we need to take, the, if there's any lesson, it's just be very serious about the things you're handling because you don't know what conflict is coming up in your life that might lead to a bigger conflict if you don't deal with it the right way. This sermon uh, by Andrew Murray on the power of persevering prayer reminds us of an aspect of his life that's kind of overlooked. Um, we, we didn't really talk about it. He wrote a book called The School of Prayer, and this book becomes very famous. It came from his sermons, and he talks about how you just have to stick to God and pray to him, just v- enduring. You're just kind of keep coming to God. And I mentioned at the top of the episode that we were going to tell you a little bit about his testimony, and this plays right into that. His testimony was such that When he shared it, he basically said, I never really felt the Spirit's power. Like I thought I was saved. I felt, I was sure I was saved, but I didn't feel like God was in my life every moment of every hour. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized I wasn't going to God every moment of every hour. I was kind of telling God, okay, one hour on Sunday, then I have a couple hours to myself to do my life. Then I come back to you, God, in the evening, we'll pray before bed. And it just kind of, he parceled out time for God, but the rest of his life in between was his own. And he said, I bet you that's something you struggle with too. When you learn to turn over every minute and every hour in your entire life, you just say, God, everything I do is surrender to you. My entire life is a prayer, is a walk to you. He said, that's when you're going to see the Spirit moving in your life in a way that you've not seen it moving before. And I think that this sermon on praying persistently, going back to God, just consuming and spending your time following Him and just believing like that widow knocking on the door saying, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm ready. Lord, you hearing me? I'm, I'm here. I want to be used by you. I think that is the kind of life that he's going to call us to live. And that if we can learn to live like that, we too can, can make an impact on this world for the kingdom of God. was in a city a judge which didn't fear God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Take vengeance on my enemy. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about man, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will avenge her, so that I am not worn out by her constant asking. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And won't God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night to him, though he endures a long time with them? I tell you that he will avenge them quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke 18, 1-8 Of all the mysteries of the prayer world, the need of persevering prayer is one of the greatest. 
that the Lord, who is so loving and longing to bless, should have to be asked time after time, sometimes year after year, before the answer comes, we cannot easily understand. It is also one of the greatest practical difficulties in the exercise of believing prayer. When, after persevering and pleading, our prayer remains unanswered, it is often easiest for our lazy flesh, and it has all the appearance of pious submission, to think that we must now cease praying, because God may have his secret reason for withholding his answer to our request. It is by faith alone that the difficulty is overcome. Once faith has taken its stand on God's word in the name of Jesus, and has yielded itself to the leading of the Spirit to seek God's will and honor alone in its prayer, it doesn't need to be discouraged by delay. It knows from Scripture that the power of believing prayer is simply irresistible. Real faith can never be disappointed. It knows that just as water, to show the irresistible power it can have, must be gathered up and accumulated until the stream can be come down in full force, in the same way there must often be a heaping up of prayer until God sees that the measure is full when the answer comes. It knows that just as the peasant farmer has to take his 10,000 steps to sow his tens of thousands seeds, each one of a part in the preparation for the final harvest, so there is a need for often repeated persevering prayer, all working out some desired blessing. It knows for certain that not a single believing prayer can fail of its effect in heaven, but has its influence and is treasured up to work out an answer in due time to him who perseveres to the end. It knows that it has to do, not with human thoughts or possibilities, but with the word of the living God. And so, even as Abraham, through so many years, who against hope believed in hope, Romans 4.18, and then followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises, Hebrews 6.12, to enable us, when the answer to our prayer does not come at once, to combine quiet patience and joyful confidence in our persevering prayer, we must especially try to understand the words in which our Lord sets out the character and conduct, not of the unjust judge, but of our God and Father, toward those whom he allows to cry day and night to him, I tell you that he will avenge them quickly. Luke 18.8 He will avenge them quickly, the Master says. The blessing is all prepared. He is not only willing, but most anxious to give them what they ask. Everlasting love burns with the longing desire to reveal itself fully to its beloved and to satisfy their needs. God will not delay one moment longer than is absolutely necessary. He will do all in his power to expedite and rush the answer. But why, if this is true and his power is infinite, does it often take so long for the answer of prayer to come? And why must God's own elect so often, in the middle of suffering and conflict, cry day and night? He is waiting patiently while he listens to them. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long been patient for it, until he receives the early and latter rain. James 5.7 The farmer does, indeed, long for his harvest but knows that it must have its full amount of sunshine and rain, and he has long patience. A child so often wants to pick the half-ripe fruit. The farmer knows how to wait until the proper time.
Man, in his spiritual nature too, is under the law of gradual growth that reigns in all of created life. It is only in the path of development that he can reach his divine destiny. And it is the Father, in whose hand are the times and seasons, who knows the moment when the soul or the church is ripened to that fullness of faith in which it can really take and keep the blessing. Like a father who longs to have his only child come home from school, and yet waits patiently until the time of training is completed, so it is with God and his children. He is the patient one and answers quickly. The insight into this truth leads the believer to cultivate corresponding dispositions. Patience and faith, waiting and anticipating, are the secret of his perseverance. By faith in the promise of God, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. Faith takes and holds the answer in the promise as an unseen spiritual possession, rejoices in it, and praises for it. But there is a difference between the faith that so holds the word and knows that it has the answer and the clearer, fuller, riper faith that obtains the promise as a present experience. It is in persevering, not believing, but confident in praising prayer that the soul grows up into that full union with its Lord in which it can enter upon the possession of the blessing in him. There may be in these around us, there may be in that great system of being of which we are a part, there may be in God's government things that have to be put right through our prayer before the answer can fully come. The faith that has, according to the command, believe that it has been received, can allow God to take his time. It knows it has prevailed and must prevail. In quiet, persistent, and determined perseverance, it continues in prayer and thanksgiving until the blessing comes. And so we see, combined what at first sight appears contradictory, the faith that rejoices in the answer of the unseen God as a present possession, and the patience that cries day and night until it is revealed. The quickness of God's patience is met by the triumphant but patient faith of his waiting child. Our greater danger in this school of the answer delayed is the temptation to think that, after all, it may not be God's will to give us what we ask. If our prayer is according to God's word and under the leading of the Spirit, let us not give way to these fears. Let us learn to give God time. God needs time with us. If only we give him time, that is, time in the daily fellowship with himself, for him to exercise the full influence of his presence on us, and time, day by day, in the course of our being kept waiting, for faith to prove its reality and to fill our whole being, he himself will lead us from faith to vision. We will see the glory of God. Let no delay shake your faith. Of faith it holds good. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Each believing prayer brings a step nearer the final victory. Each believing prayer helps to ripen the fruit and bring us nearer to it. It fills up the measure of prayer and faith known to God alone. It conquers the hindrances in the unseen world. It hastens the end. Child of God. Give the Father time. He is patiently listening to you.
He wants the blessing to be rich and full and sure. Give him time while you cry day and night. Only remember the word. I tell you that he will avenge them quickly. Luke 18.8 The blessing of such persevering prayer is unspeakable. There is nothing so heart-searching as the prayer of faith. It teaches you to discover and confess and to give up everything that hinders the coming of the blessing, everything there may not be in accordance with the Father's will. It leads to closer fellowship with Him who alone can teach us to pray, to a more entire surrender to draw near under no covering but that of the blood and the Spirit. It calls for a closer and more simple abiding in Christ alone. Christian, give God time. He will perfect that which concerns you. Let it be so whether you pray for yourself or for others. All labor, bodily or mental, needs time and effort. We must give up ourselves to it. Nature discovers her secrets and yields her treasures only to diligent and thoughtful labor. However little we can understand it, in the spiritual farming it is the same. The seed we sow in the soil of heaven, the efforts we put forth, and the influence we seek to exert in the world above need our whole being. We must give ourselves to prayer. But let us hold firm the great confidence that in due season we will reap if we don't give up. And let us especially learn the lesson as we pray for Christ's church. She is, indeed, like the poor widow in the absence of her Lord, apparently at the mercy of her adversary, helpless to obtain restitution. Let us, when we pray for his church, or any portion of it, under the power of the world, asking him to visit her with the mighty workings of his spirit and to prepare her for his coming, let us pray in the assured faith. Prayer does help. Praying always and not stopping will bring the answer. Only give God time. And then keep crying out day and night. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God avenge his own elect, which cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? Luke 18, 6-7 He talks about prayer and there's this kind of interesting part where he's like, once you start praying in this kind of persevering, nonstop, always enduring, always going back to God kind of way, you allow God to change your heart and that will, you'll, you'll want 
him in your life more, and then he will draw you into him more, and that will make you pray to him more. And it it's almost like there's this like domino effect that once you really start to live your life in a prayer life like that, it, it, it makes you want it more, which makes it happen more, which makes it like it just dominoes into this better prayer life with God. I think it's really cool. I, I would love to say that I'm there. I'm not. But this sermon helped me honestly like reconsider how often I'm turning back to him in prayer. And this might be the kind of episode you need to go back to, I think, uh, more than one time to just every couple of months. How's my prayer life? Listen to this one. Okay. I clearly need to do a little more on my prayer life because I'm, I'm not sure if I'm where, uh, where he was describing it could be. That, that's kind of my feeling towards as I, as I discovered it, as I listened to it, and as I am now, I just feel like every time I've heard it, I've had to re- recalculate and go, no, I'm not there yet. I can, I can continue to try though. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Drew Temple. Drew Temple is the youth group leader at Mosaic of Winchester in the town of Winchester, Virginia. He also is a blogger and a podcaster. He is married to Cherry and they have two daughters. You can follow him at his podcast and on Instagram at Courageous Theology. Yes, and they had us on for an episode at Courageous Theology. So if nothing else, make sure you check out that episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, in unless this is your first episode, you know that we normally ask you to do something at the end of each episode. This episode, I'm going to just kind of break script here. And I'm just going to ask that you pray. Uh, this is an episode all about prayer. And I don't know why. We just I'm just thinking that right now is a good time for you to maybe stop. Whatever you're doing, don't, don't crash your car if you're driving. But uh, take a minute and see if you can pray. And maybe pray that what you listen to about prayer will be a part of your life and help you to grow closer to God too. I, I don't know what it is you need to pray for, but do that. And if you have anything you want us to pray for you, just shoot shoot us a prayer request at revivethoughts at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, to any of those places you can communicate with us and we'll, we'll pray for you this week as well. This is Troy and Joel and this is Revive Thoughts. This episode is brought to you by the In-Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. On the In-Between Podcast, you will hear how to raise children that change the world, ideas to keep the romance alive with your spouse, how to not hate your in-laws, ways to save money for your next vacation, and how to use the Enneagram in your relationships. Join us, Daniel and Christina M. as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. For more information, go to imbetween.org. That's imbetween.org.